Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. You are listening to Bite Into It. Uh, we are here in the studio tonight. We have Dan Salmon. How are you? Very well. Yourself? I'm not doing too badly. Excellent. And Vanessa Taholka, how are you going? I'm super well. Thanks for asking. Great. And I'm Lily Ryan. And tonight we have two amazing interviews coming up, which I'm really looking forward to. We are going to be talking to Lucy Walk, who is the founder and CEO of sex tech startup Normal. And following that, we will be talking to Sam Floriani, who's the program lead at Digital Rights Watch, who's going to give us a roundup of the most recent digital rights news. Also, just a reminder that Radiothon is still going on. If you haven't subscribed yet, you have until 5 p.m. on Wednesday, October 5th. It's not too late. Um, and uh, we will jump right into the news, I think. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Dan, what's what's happening? So uh, an interesting uh, bit of tidbit from the uh, Commonwealth Ombudsman um, who have uh, – would you say who is about the Ombudsman or is it, is it a person or is it an organisation? Anyway. Um, <laughs> what's the Ombudsman? This, that implies a human. And it does imply a human, right? So let, let, let's, let's anthropomorphise the uh, Ombudsman saying that he or she has – or they – has um, seri- identified serious compliance issues with law enforcement access to metadata and content under Australia's telecommunications interception laws. Um, now, they've climbed for the third straight year. Now, basically, we're talking about police and law enforcement accessing metadata. And it's it's gone up. Surprise, surprise. This is my shocked face. Yeah, exactly. So um, we've we've got. I think the well, this most recent report, the twenty twenty one report, which covers use from July twenty nineteen to June twenty twenty, made twenty nine recommendations across six Commonwealth agencies, uh, basically to in, introduce better practice. Um, things like uh, I'm just scanning through here now. They 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 saw an increase of number of compliance related findings compared to previous inspections. Um, they there were also instances where the ombudsman wasn't satisfied with the remedial action that certain agencies were taking in response to the adverse findings that they were getting. Yeah, and another interesting point they found was that um, there were some agencies securing warrants from ineligible authorities mm. and yet still passing through this data. Interesting. So the process was just falling over a bit. Yeah. If only some human rights organisations had said something earlier when these laws were being drafted. They really did, didn't they? <laughs> and, uh, they said so many things. And they, they talked about overreach and they talked about lack of, you know, um, ability to audit these processes well. Uh, what's happened was that they took up the auditing recommendations but not really any of the others about limiting the scope of access to this data. Mm. And we saw some really um, strange organisations get put on the list of access to people's metadata, which included like some sort of like pet-related organisation. Wasn't it the RSPCA? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So they they did list uh, the number of, uh, I suppose, issues and by jurisdiction, which I always enjoy. Who do you – which jurisdiction do you think um, had the most recommendations made against it? Just purely going off vibes right now, New South Wales. New South Wales Police received nine 
telecommuting data recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, followed by Tasmanian Police with six, South Australian Police with five, the Australian Federal Police, Commonwealth, with four, uh, the Department of Home Affairs and Victoria Police and Northern Territory Police all had three and Queensland Police had it's two. It's interesting that that doesn't follow like size of population, for example, which you thought maybe it would map to. Absolutely. Although, I mean, depending on who might be in government at the time, perhaps there's a correlation there. Who mm. knows? Who knows? Speaking of the Department of Home Affairs, um, they've just announced that they are going to be looking into TikTok and WeChat and other social media data use there. They've launched an inquiry. So we have um, new Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, um, has asked the Department of Home Affairs to to do an investigation about all of this data harvesting. It's tied in with notions about curbing foreign interference and, of course, you know, TikTok and WeChat are both Chinese-owned companies. Yeah, it did so. read as a bit of sabre-rattling after some of the mm. recent comments from the uh, – what do you call that person? The uh, oh, I've just blanked. Trees <laughs> Ombudsman. The, the omb- no, the, um, the ambassador. The, the ambassador. Thank the, you. Yes, the Chinese ambassador. <laughs> that guy. Someone get this girl a drink of water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll get on that. <laughs> but uh, the um, so, you know, they're talking about how all of these apps are installed on our phones and gathering lots of data beyond what they really should and sort of sending it offshore to com- countries that um, maybe don't have the same kinds of approaches to social, I don't know affairs as we do i'm not really sure honestly um anytime anybody tries to come after tiktok specifically it just really sounds kind of racist to me however you know we say that but we know that tiktok have built in a bunch of features they have that Mm. are both you know addictive but also acquisitive in terms of handling your personal data and uh, recent reports have been out about tiktok say doing keystroke gathering of you know while the app is open if you're in anything else it can be capturing what you're typing that's a huge overreach of you know feature development you would think and um they had a data breach recently which is also not a good sign um so there's a bunch of recommendations going around about changing your tiktok passwords and enabling two-factor authentication if you haven't got that on already would absolutely yeah Yeah. recommend doing that and also just thinking about what you are installing on your phones because you do give them a lot of permissions sometimes Hmm. yeah there you go hey uh in other interesting news ethereum have recently been in the news because for years people have been saying they will move from proof of work to proof of stake now if you're a person who's into these sort of blockchain technologies and digital currencies then you'll know a bit about this but the whole idea behind this is that it's moving to a lower energy usage um, way of verifying the creation of tokens on their platform It's very detailed. Um, They're projecting it might reduce their energy consumption by 99.95%. However, they all use ridiculous amounts of energy as it is, so don't be too encouraged. Um, (laughs) Go read up on the Ethereum merge uh, or Ethereum 2.0 if you're interested in that. Triple R. Hey, we have uh, Lily and Dan and I in the studio tonight, and we've just been joined on the phone by Lucy Walk. She's a CEO and the founder of Normal. 
You might know them as uh, your local little friendly sex tech provider. We want to provide a little bit of a, a listener warning for anyone who's tuning in just now. You know, the next, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes-ish uh, might be, well, will likely be very adult in a respectful and, uh, you know, community-friendly sort of way, but not suitable for all ears. So if you've got those sensitive ears around, uh, maybe switch to something else for just a little while. Lucy, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, and I'll try and keep it as PG or at least M as possible. Oh, look, we love that, uh, but we also love being educational <laughs> here, and that's what we're yep. here for, and yep. we're very comfortable with, you know, frank and open discussions about sex and sexuality, and particularly how they cross over with technology. How did you get interested enough in this space to found your own company? I think, uh, like so many people, I had a sex education that really left me um, feeling pretty unprepared for not just, you know, how do I have safe sex, how do I have consensual sex, um, how do I have, you know, sex um, that's respectful and enjoyable, but actually just like how do you have good and pleasurable sex and how do you have the types of discussions that you need for um, healthy relationships throughout a lifetime. Um, and so I think, you know, like so many people, I wished that there were better sources of information. I um, found that porn and pop culture and social media and Google weren't really doing it. Um, and uh, ooh, apologies for the um, for dropping out there. All good, all good. Funny how we talk about technology and then it fails on us like that. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> Funny how we talk about sex and then the person I'm talking to just vanish at night. <laughs> <laughs> You were giving us a very open and, um, you know, a, a very relatable sort of background into, mm. you know, I think how everyone wishes that, um, you know, as they're, as they're exploring their sexuality, maybe they're a little bit better informed, better educated um, and had more people to, you know, get some great advice from. Uh, yeah. What do you think uh, Absolutely. Your role I think is? it's a pretty universal experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... As, as a founder of a sex tech business, which we'll unpack in a moment, um, you know, what do you think your your role is to play there? I think as a business, sort of, we see our job as um, a couple of things. Firstly, it's let's normalise the healthy, um, fun, respectful conversations about sex that we all wish we could have had, um, you know, at earlier kind of pivotal points in our lives. And so whether that's through um, what we do on social media or whether it's through the way that we chat to our community or the way that we explain our products or driving funny trucks with slogans on them around Bondi and Melbourne, (laughs) Um, we think it's really kind of valuable to be able to say, like, hey, like, we all deserve, like, an evidence-based, you know, funny where it's appropriate, serious where it's appropriate conversation about this really important part of our lives. Um, So that's a big part of it. And then in terms of what we do as a company, um, we sort of say, like, our mission is to give people the information, tools and confidence to explore sexuality on their own terms. Um, What that means for us right now is we make physical products, we make sort of a whole range of sex toys and sex essentials, and we also invest a lot of money in making um, sort of free, high-quality digital education that's solving that kind of sex education gap. So that's, like, the two big things that, that we do. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's nice to hear of a local business doing this as well. You know, lots of these businesses can feel a bit anonymous. And actually, you do want to have sort of connections with um, a company, you know, uh, selling such an intimate lot of products and providing educational services. You know, you want it to be culturally maybe the right fit for you or a tone that you can relate to. So I like the idea that you know, there's more of a chance you'll find something aligned to your, you know, your values and beliefs and stuff in something a bit more local. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's really true. Um, and it's been, um, you know, the sex tech space, uh, I don't want to presume that your listeners know a ton about it, um, but, you know, this space has evolved over the last kind of 10 to 15 years um, with a set of entrepreneurs around the globe um, sort of taking a, a new look at everything from how we're making physical products in the sex space for new audiences and more diverse audiences through to how are we delivering education, um, how can we take a look at the way that things like erotic pornography work, um, how can we help people work on dysfunctions, how can we deliver healthcare better. There's an enormous sort of suite of things in this space. But I think one thing that's actually been really cool is seeing um, how many... Um, how much Australian brands have actually punched above their weight um, in this space. And I wonder how much of that is actually that, you know, Australians have that really lovely, like, combination of being very friendly, we love jokes, we love we love a good sex time, um, and sort of being, being a pretty approachable tone, I think, like, as a culture, actually, there's, there's a, perhaps a reason why um, a lot of sex tech has actually come out of Australia as well. I'm interested to know a bit more about your role as an Australian business in particular, because one of the things that we often talk about on the show is the way that um, it, quite often the government's trying to make lots of laws that will restrict content in different places to different audiences and that kind of thing. Has that been something that's affected you and other sex tech startups that you know in the local scene? Yeah, it is. And I, I think, um, you know, this is a nuanced discussion. Um, I, I think most people in sex tech would say, obviously, there, you know, there are appropriate places and times and contexts in which to talk about sex and different topics within sex. You know, we don't think that a classroom full of five-year-olds is a good place to have explicit discussions about, sure. um, you know, uh, um, libido mismatch. <laughs> like, there are, sure. there are, yeah, you know, we, we all agree that I think um, we need to be having those conversations in places where it's contextually appropriate. But um, the single biggest challenge that most sex tech companies face um, in trying to connect with the people that they're trying to help is actually um, censorship on big digital platforms and then within big traditional media as well. Um, so that's everything from, um, you know, if you're a brand in the world of, um, of uh, like, physical products, the most important place where you can reach your customers tends to be Facebook and Instagram and TikTok through paid advertising. On those places, you basically can't show a sex toy, say the word sex toy, link out to anything that shows a sex toy or says sex <laughs> or has a picture of or says the, says the word. Like, it's a very, very strict set of censorship and we've had... Um, I think um, some really interesting and revealing conversations with a lot of Australian advertisers about sort of what they're comfortable with on billboards, what they're comfortable with on um, television, you know, what times of day um, certain messages can happen and that type of thing. So it's, it's a really um, it's a really important issue, I think, to um, make sure that we are um, actually sort of evolving our understanding of what is what are real community standards, what's of benefit to the community, what's of harm to the community, what is an appropriate conversation to be having. Um, instead of just, I think, the knee-jerk kind of um, none of this belongs here in any way um, response yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So on the on the flip side of that, um, what role do you see tech as having played um, in, in making things easier and more accessible for people because the the stuff that you're producing in order to educate people and provide the resources that I think a lot of us probably wish we had when we were trying to <laughs> learn about this kind of stuff um, – you know, is, is tech mediated? Um, but is tech informing your work in other ways? Oh, um, completely. I think, 
if you look at the sex tech space as a whole, um, a couple of sort of um, big trends that are really worth pointing to is that firstly, um, you know, we've seen uh, the rise of companies that are um, building for a much more diverse set of populations than we previously used to create products for. Um, So that's everything from, you know, uh, once upon a time, if you went into a sex shop, what you generally see would be like big purple, wobbly, anatomically accurate dildos. <laughs> and that was kind of it. Um, and nothing wrong with that. If it floats your boat, awesome. We'd love that. But um, actually what's been really cool is seeing sort of entrepreneurs with more diverse backgrounds um, start to build for things like mobility issues, start to consider, well, actually, you know, for people with vulvas, what is most likely to produce an orgasm? Do these products actually need to look um, like anatomy or can they build, be built as kind of beautiful objects that you're very happy to have in the daylight. Um, we're starting to see models like um, Folks, which is an amazing um, US-based company that's doing gender-affirming um, care for um, particularly trans people, but the LGBTQ community as a whole online and sort of delivering experiences where people once had um, sort of incredibly stigmatising and difficult in-person healthcare experiences, being able to kind of deliver those things in a way that's convenient and discreet and sensitive to um, the needs of that community. Um, and so I think it's been really amazing to see the ways in which um, the internet and the possibilities that it opens up have changed um, what's on offer. Um, and then I think we're also starting to see some really fascinating um, developments in terms of like how do we deliver content like education. Um, so that's something we do a lot of. Um, we have a sort of our first big flagship course um, called the Modern Guide to Sex, which was came off the back of a big set of research around what are the gaps in Australian sex education, what do we wish we knew, what do we need to know um, as kind of the foundation of the great sex. So we sort of created that um, working with a sex coach um, and we're able to kind of put that online and free to access um, for everyone. And so that's now kind of been used in about 40 countries and we work with universities to deliver that as well. But I think the interesting thing is that, you know, um, for so many people, they prefer to consume information about these topics in a space that's um, safe and comfortable and often a private one. You know, most of us don't actually like learning in a classroom with our PE teacher and our peers. <laughs> um, so I think, the, you know, the ability to um, uh, connect with content in different ways online is really, like, revolutionising how we can deliver sex and consent education, which is super exciting as well. Lucy, that is super exciting. Um, what's quite funny for me is that You know, we probably prepare a little bit carefully for an interview with someone like you because we know that, you know, broadcasting, there can be sensitivities around sex and anything related to that. And yet what's so striking about the way you're talking about, you know, gradually developing and building upon your proposition in the business world is how similar it is to talking to any other startup that we talk to. Um, In a similar way, I guess, you know, uh, we're always curious about innovation within an industry and some of the spaces that we're seeing innovation across a bunch of industries is in the smart devices trend. Now, I wondered, you know, to what extent is normal involved in any R&D or is that something that you sort of, you know, keep it at an arm's length or some other length from? And... uh, And I, oh, look, I'm totally pandering to this crowd here we, today. We, we should be keeping a tally. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you just experienced the part of my job, which is just like, the you know, a certain percentage of every day is silly sex puns, and that will never get old. Um, we, so, are, we are totally yeah. leaning into that. Yeah, really um, but, you know, are you seeing that sort of smart device trend play out in your field as well? 
Yeah, it's actually, this is a really fascinating question to me because in some ways the kind of um, smart device or kind of remote controlled or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth controlled device trend has actually been around for a while. Um, you know, once upon a time it was like you held a remote and you could control a toy or something like that. Now we're sort of moving into a world of you can um, connect an app to a toy at a long distance and you might be able to have kind of... Um, uh, experience different sensations or sort of play with control between partners at a long distance. Um, and then I think the next iteration of that is probably the um, sort of where does the world of um, VR, um, AR, and the ability to kind of safely um, experience um, fantasy and more immersive things um, and what that can mean with connected devices. Oh, look at you um, dancing around the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah no, it's just a cliche to be like, the metaverse. <laughs> um, so I, 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 but I do think um, it, it's interesting because in coverage of sex tech, I think people love to center in on this type of trend. You know, we're all going to be having sex with robots. Um, like that's the kind of um, the narrative that I think um, everyone's mind goes to. One of the really interesting things to me is that so far, and this could change over time, but so far I, I haven't, my impression has not been that people are um, necessarily desperately keen um, to remove the human element um, from sex and sexuality or remove the kind of um, connective, connecting to partners or connecting with self from sex and sexuality. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how far these trends actually go. Yes. Um, uh, and, you know, most of what I've seen, for example, the connected device space is people often buy them, it's great for a couple of times, and then they often go back to <laughs> um, what they were doing, um, and it, it doesn't necessarily become a permanent habit. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what does much more immersive just want to check your sound seems to be vanishing a little bit is are you, oh no is sorry that, that's there, there, there we go that's much yeah i'm sorry i got excited we're very excited in the studio as i well. talk with my hands as well <laughs> <laughs> oh i could have said something there but i'm not going to um <laughs> I, I applaud your restraint. Well done. I'll do my best. We're going to just be doing sex puns for the next thirty-one minutes. No, um, <laughs> Lucy, I've got a question. You, you, you mentioned. I mean, everything that um, you and Normal are doing is amazing. Sex positivity is where we want to be, but there is still a bit of a, I suppose, a dark side to things and I don't want to get into any specifics because you know they're, mm. they're, they're a bit icky but you know as we're moving into like you know the sex robot space and that kind of thing we're hearing reports of things where, that aren't necessarily as savory or as sex positive in in that space mm. what, what what can we what I suppose what what can we do to sort of move things in the right direction do you think I yeah this is a great question um and yeah without getting into too many of the specifics I think people can google them but you know um they're I think that almost in the same way that we've seen, um, for example, the world of um, online porn um, sort of divide a little bit into, um, call it the Wild West of 
free um, and often unethical porn sites where you're sort of, you're not sure, um, you know, was this produced under conditions where all the performers um, felt that their rights were respected, was everyone paid well, making sure that everyone um, is sort of of age and consenting and without duress, making sure that you have diverse storylines and bodies and that you represent things like consent and um, and contraception sort of... Um, uh, in ways that are healthy, um, but in the same way that I think there's, there is, you know, the internet has created um, unregulated and um, often um, pretty uh, distasteful spaces um, around um, uh, like sort of experiences of sex. We've also seen the growth of spaces that are trying to do something deliberately different. So whether it's that kind of audio erotica space where you're seeing like really um, sort of sex positive, um, like great kind of depictions of consent, great depictions of diverse relationship structures and pleasure um, uh, that are sort of almost reacting to what's wrong with <laughs> or what, what we might want, hope to be different about a lot of online pornography. Mm. I do think that um, we might well see um, as um, the world sort of moves into newer forms of, you know, online erotica, um, online spaces like VR and AR, um, that you you do see a kind of subdivision into the call it the free for all wild west spaces, and then spaces that have um, much more deliberate and thoughtful design and ethics that sit behind them. Sort of saying, well, what does it mean to, um, for example, what does consent mean in a relationship where people are joining um, uh, from home with headsets, um, or what does um, healthy storylines, what type of storylines do we want to kind of create or um, like not create um, if you're interacting um, with where you're the sort of only real character in it and you're interacting with a set of characters. And I, I do think that we, we will probably see um, a bit of a, a kind of bifurcation um, into spaces where people are opting into higher or different standards and spaces that are a bit of a free-for-all. Well, I think the internet can very much be a double-edged sword with sex. Yes. I think higher standards is exactly the place we want to leave it with you tonight. Even though we didn't talk about investment, <laughs> which I know is fraught in your space, Another time, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've um, summoned the, you know, the aura of Cindy Gallup as we've talked about these issues, <laughs> and that's a nice oh. place to be. I would encourage our listeners, if they're interested in um, buying, you know, local sex tech type of products, then they could do worse than check out itsnormal.com and support, you know, a local business. And, uh, yeah, the great sort of Absolutely. educational messages that you're putting out along with that, which I really think is, is a beautiful pairing. Uh, Lucy Walk, thanks so much for speaking with us tonight about normal. Those who think it's dirty, have a choice. Pick up the needle, press pause, or turn the radio off. Will that stop us, Pat? I doubt it. All right, then, come on, spin. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. Make any man's eyes pop. She uses she got to get whatever she don't got. Fellas droop like fools, but then again, they're only human. The chick was a hit because her body was booming. Gold, pearls, rubies, crazy diamonds. Nothing she wore was ever common. Her dates, heads of state, men of taste, lawyers, doctors. No one was too great for her to get with or even mess with. The press, she says, was next on her list. And uh, believe me, you, it's as good as true. There ain't a man alive that she couldn't get next to. She had it all in the bag. She should have been glad But she was mad and sad and feeling bad Thinking about the things that she never had No love, just sex Followed next with a check and a note That last night was dope, 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 dope.
talk about sex an appropriate uh, finish to our talk about sex tech it is uh, 7:37 you're listening to bite into it on 3 triple R with Vanessa Lily and my name is Dan we're going to hear a quick message and then be back with uh, Samantha Florani from Digital Rights Watch this is a podcast from Triple R an independent media organization in Melbourne Australia Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber Hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Right now on the line, we are about to talk with Sam Floriani from Digital Rights Watch. Sam is a program lead there. She's a privacy expert, public commentator, and a good friend of the show. And she joins us today to give a roundup of the recent news in the world of digital rights. Sam, how are you? Hi, hello. I'm well. Thanks for having me. How are you going? Good. Not too good. bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, we. Uh, I mean, you. I think you might have heard some of that last interview that we just we just did. I um, did, and it was really quite amusing to me that Lucy got cut off. Then it feels like it's kind of really representative of how internet regulation approaches sex and sexual content. So <laughs> it, did, it did have to make you laugh a little bit. Well, that was that was part of what we wanted to ask you about this evening because there are, um, as we alluded to earlier in the show, a couple of laws that have been kicking around, and this has been happening for a while, but a few laws that have been kicking around regarding online safety and e-safety um, and how a lot of these measures can make it kind of harder to talk, like make make it harder for consenting adults to talk about sex online. So I know that you and um, folks from the EFA did a Reddit AMA last week on this topic. How, how was that? What did you talk about? Yeah, it, it went well. It was really interesting. So we, we did this AMA on Reddit um, in response to the release of the draft industry codes, which is a requirement under the Online Safety Act. So I think I've actually been on the, on the show before talking about the Online Safety Act. It's been done um, so long. Basically... <laughs> the Online Safety Act, um, you know, tr- attempts to, to broadly um, regulate online safety. It tries to do lots of different things. Um, one of the key focuses on it is around uh, content moderation and removal of uh, harmful content. I'll put air quotes around 
the word harmful because that is a, a matter of heated debate. Mm. Um, and so under this Act, um, it requires industry to make a set of codes for how they will uh, deal with Class 1 and Class 2 material. So when, I, when we're talking about Class 1 and Class 2, we're, we're generally talking about um, like sexual, uh, child sexual abuse material, CSAM, and terrorist content or extreme violence content. But then Class 2 starts to move more into um, very broad categories around pornography and around um, crime and drug use and things like that. So basically, these industry codes have been released, the draft um, has been released for consultation, um, and it contains just like a wild array of uh, requirements for industry to meet to be able to regulate and minimise access to this kind of content. So, so yeah, we talked to Reddit to, um, to chat with the people, the internet people, about how people <laughs> are feeling about it and answer some questions. And understandably, people were very confused um, because one of the troubling features of all of this regulation is that it is extremely complicated and it overlaps with so many other bits of um, legislation as well. And so it makes it really, really hard for anyone to sort of understand what's going on. So, Sam, there are a couple of things going on here. Um, one that I'm seeing is that, you know, the e-safety commissioner role seems to have become really focused on, in terms of content, you know, sexual and, and bullying content, and in terms of audience, yeah. children, and focusing on, you know, the protections there and what have you. And, you know, am I right in thinking that's quite a narrowing of their remit in terms of thinking broadly about, you know, digital safety for Australia? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair representation of, of the priorities that are coming through. There is a very clear emphasis that is happening on um, children's safety online um, and the conceptualisation of safety as being something that is about um, restricting access to certain content, um, which comes with, like, a lot of... Sorry, I'm, I'm actually getting a... Um, Echo, is that on your oh, end? Oh, no, we're not end? getting it. You sound good here. Okay, it's just kind push of like... Push through, push through, Sam. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> um, yeah, there's this real sort of fixation on safety kind of under the umbrella of um, surveillance and monitoring and control. And as you kind of flagged, like, I think there's a lot more that we could be thinking about in terms of safety with regard to things like how can we tackle harmful surveillance capitalism business models that harm all of us, including children. And a lot of that kind of gets left out of this conversation. Instead, yeah. we get fixated on things like content moderation or censorship. I, and I, I feel quite tempted to be cynical about that change in direction because it's, oh, protect the children, and, it, you know, it's impossible to argue with that. That's, you know, so that, that becomes the, the avenue that they, they focus on. But part of me is actually sympathetic because I do think, oh my gosh, do you know? Uh, I wonder if they feel a bit hamstrung in trying to push uh, some of the really sensible uh, protections that could exist for everyday people in their in their digital lives, but maybe it's quite challenging for governments to go up against the massive technology companies who would have to actually activate changes to support you know better privacy for example for their citizens um do you have do you have a, is that something you know you have a take on 
Yeah, so I, yeah, I think it's, a, I mean, firstly, I feel like I should acknowledge that it is an extremely complicated and tricky mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I mean, it should go without saying that, you know, we all want to reduce, um, <laughs> ac you know, access to or creation of CSAM material and other harmful materials. Sure. Um, but by throwing other rights under the bus, there is, a very, there is an argument to, make, to be made, and in my opinion, quite a strong argument to be made, that we are creating bigger picture, long-term issues that will in turn undermine the safety in the long run. Something that, that comes up a lot in this space is the question of age verification, which has been a really hot uh, topic of debate in the online safety space. Um, and I think this kind of gets to what you were talking about in the sense that a lot of people uh, are quite sympathetic to the idea of using something like age verification to access pornography to be able to limit children's access to content that maybe they're not ready to uh, engage with yet. I mean, that's, you know, another conversation to be had. Um, the trouble is, with the current technology that we have, the process of doing that creates all kinds of privacy and security risks, which in turn then puts children and adults at risk. Speaking of uh, limiting children's access to content, um, I wanted to pivot briefly to another thing that's been going on recently where Moorbank High School, I think in New South Wales, was it, um, was requiring students to scan their fingerprints in order to go to the toilet. Um, I know you've spoken a lot about this recently, <laughs> um, and I wanted to I wanted to hear a bit more from you about what was going on there, because that does seem like it would be an overreach, but uh, probably in the other direction. Yeah, so this is really, it's an interesting um, sort of thing to, <laughs> to consider in, like, alongside online safety, right? Because this gets also sort of put out there as a, a mechanism to to um, enhance safety, right, to, to enhance the safety of kids in schools and, um, you know, to give them a better experience when it comes to using the toilet and things like that. But, but really um, what we end up doing is creating a very pervasive surveillance system, which um, in case, you know, it's, it's not clear, I don't believe that surveillance equates to safety. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's interesting sort of seeing the parallels coming up here in, like, the physical world and the, the online world. Biometric surveillance is having a real hot moment in um, Australia at the moment. Oh, so yeah. you mentioned fingerprint scanning in this school. So the the story behind that is that a school has implemented fingerprint scanning to access the toilets as a as a measure to reduce vandalism in their toilets. So, I mean, sure. my position on this would be that that is a completely unreasonable and disproportionate reaction to something like vandalism. Um, collecting biometric information of children is a pretty extreme measure to respond to something like, um, you know, they were talking about things like having poo on the walls and stuff like that. Not to mention, it's just kind of creepy to have a log of who went to the loo when. Like, why, why do you need that information? Absolutely. And so in some of the reporting as well, the, the school sort of talks quite flippantly about wanting to monitor students' movements throughout the school day. And I start to get very concerned when we hear schools talking about, um, you know, general surveillance in such a flippant way. Like this is um, something that can really impact uh, kids' 
agency and their freedoms and obviously their, their sense of their right to privacy. So it's something that I think we should be thinking very, very critically about um, and really be putting a stop to before it spreads more widely. And on that note, <laughs> I wanted to flag the other, the, the few other things that have popped up. So um, we've also saw reporting about facial recognition being trialled in pubs in the in ACT and also facial recognition being um, rolled out in some prisons in uh, New South Wales. So it really does feel like there's this, you know, mounting um, use of biometric surveillance that is starting to really creep in into all different parts of our lives. Yeah, it feels like something we can't get rid of. It doesn't matter how many times the public says we don't want this. It, it keeps coming back. So what what has, um, and I, I should also say, you know, full disclosure, I'm on the board of Digital Rights Watch, but what has Digital Rights Watch been doing and other digital rights organisations in this space at the moment to, to sort of push back against this rising tide? Yeah, great question. So specifically with regard to the fingerprint scanning, we have written to the school and to the um, New South Wales Department of Education, um, you know, urging them to stop using this technology and to stop using other forms of um, surveillance in schools. And then on sort of a broader level, um, you know, Digital Rights Watch and other groups like Electronic Frontiers Australia have been, you know, pretty active in this space, pushing back for quite a while. Um, if people are interested, they can keep an eye out for uh, future campaigns. We're going to we're looking at um, launching a national campaign against uh, facial recognition in the near future. So, if people are interested, they should sign up to our mailing list so they can get involved. And where can um, they do that? At www.digitalrightswatch.org.au. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us, Sam. Thanks, I, Sam. Yeah, you've uh, <laughs> really uh, Sorry, given us a to, good... get through when I'm I know. <laughs> I know, but uh, <laughs> we really appreciate your time. So thank you. Was, no worries. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, so we've just been speaking to Sam Floriani from Digital Rights Watch. We've got some uh, more interesting stuff to chat about for the next uh, little bit, Vanessa? We certainly do. Hey, um, in South Australia, they had an interesting... AI trial uh, running in aged care. So there was this promise that AI was going to solve all sorts of problems. And this is a bit of a case study on one of the problems that people have tried to solve with AI. It was called the Australian... Uh, it was... No, it wasn't called anything. Forget that. It wasn't <laughs> called anything. It has no name. But uh, a big four consultancy has conducted a review of the pilot and it's had some not great outcomes, but it's really great that they've put these out there and that they've tried this and that if you're going to try these sort of things, yeah, be really transparent about your reporting. That's fantastic. So the idea was that they brought in a technology that was aiming to detect four key incident types. So they're trying to detect falls, assist needs, um, calls for help and or screams. Oh, that's a bit dire. Screams. I know, mm. it's sad. But, you know, we're all, we all uh, you know, tiptoeing towards... Uh, age and may need all sorts of assistance and I'm happy that people are investigating what sorts might be available. However, this particular system that they tried to, to use turned out to be overly sensitive to noise levels in facilities and so it was not able to distinguish between um, things like 
inanimate objects and people until it was patched. Uh, so the end result was a flood of false alerts that overwhelmed on-site staff who it was then notifi- notifying that there were incidents to respond to. So they thought that, you know, they'd have a threshold of a certain amount of false alerts a day, 10 maybe, uh, but they found that this wasn't the case and so trying to manage bigger geographies just there weren't going to be some benefits there um so very interesting that they're trying to to um develop technologies to help in these understaffed type of environments hopefully staffing won't be such a problem over time you know there's all sorts of incentive ideas going on in that space but if you're interested in that um you can look up a report in IT news on South Australia's aged care AI trial, which produced 12,000 false alarms. I feel like... Wow, that's a lot. If I if I get to aged care kind of age, I'm probably just going to watch a bunch of horror movies. I'm just so going to can... get one of those Japanese, like, cutesy robot things to make me happy. I would just want to trigger <laughs> the scream alarms. <laughs> it, 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 well, I was about to make some kind of alien, no one can hear you scream kind of joke. But, um, but instead, yeah. how about you tell us about Google Loon? Oh, yeah. So Google Loon. You do you guys remember Google Loon? It was, um, you know, before, before Elon became the person who wanted everyone to the internet, Google wanted everyone to have the internet. No way. And what they did was put a whole lot of uh, balloon, hot air balloons or like weather alien balloons, balloons, weather balloons, weather balloons. Up, in, up, in, up in the sky with kind of, you know, radio, like radio signal, signal modem type things. And yeah. Yeah, it was basically communication satellites but in extremely low Earth orbit. Um, and so they have um, been shut down last year after eight years of failing to monetize because people didn't use them, but they've now been spun off from um, Google's parent company, Alphabet. So they still kind of exist. Um, A new company, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Alleria? Alleria. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So (laughs) what um, what they are promising is is, uh, two things. Tight beam, which is the world's most advanced, coherent, light-free space optics technology, which basically translates to lasers instead of cables or radio. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. That is kind love of cool. lasers. That yeah. is, yeah, we do lasers. Love lasers. <laughs> lasers, so long as they're not burning us. Um, and the other thing they've got is SpaceTime, which is a software platform for orchestrating networks of ground stations, aircraft, satellites, ships, and urban meshes. So essentially using existing things out there to yeah. connect. It, and like basically cool. the Internet of Things connecting us to everything. I'll just remind you that you're the same bloke during Radiothon who yeah. I heard say you know nothing about technology and look at you just <laughs> taking in these descriptions, you know, completely able I, to unpack, you know, tech jargon. These, these are words I these are words I understand. And, and may, I, may I remind you that uh, in ten years of doing this show, I've learned some things. <laughs> I love it. I actually think this is my 10-year anniversary this week. Oh, really? Congratulations. Thank you. What's the 10-year? Is that like, that's more than paper. Paper's like one year. What's 10? I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's our foil. It's, it's, well, no, it's first, it's tech every year. Oh, it's tin foil. Tin foil. (laughs) Um, Oh, my hat finally comes in handy. There you go. Hey, I think if Aliria is good at anything, it's naming their technologies, Type Beam and Space Time. I'm, I'm Those are good. Yeah, they are good. good. They I are really good. prefer people not to name things after common nouns. It makes them very hard to look up. This is true. What I, one thing I will say, though, the use of lasers, it's kind of where they're getting into that teleportation kind of use. Because, I mean, obviously fibre optics use light to connect to... You're listening you know, to a Triple R podcast. But then we've got Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, and, like, books, social issues, politics, and more. I'm not even to listen, hit up the Triple hey, R website or your favourite uh, podcast platform. We uh, jump off here, so uh, we'll be right back.
Bite into it on 3RRR. We have a couple of things to talk about. First up, Pawsfest. Yeah, it's the fifth edition of their awards. So the awards submission are open now. Um, I'm going to be one of the judges for that. So I am invested. So full full disclosure. They honour business achievements through various stages of business growth. So, you know, depending on where you are, there's different awards you can apply for. They are paid, um, as in you have to pay to submit. But they're for companies, startups and scale-ups, um, there's two days left to submit entries to their awards. The entries close at midnight, 16th of September. There's 25% off right now on submitting. Um, I do think that they really are great ways of focusing attention on successful people. Awesome. Triple R. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.